Welcome to the Food Junkies Podcast. Here, we aim to provide you with the experience, strength, and hope of professionals actively working on the front lines in the field of food addiction. The purpose of our show is to educate you, the listener, and increase overall awareness about food addiction as a disease with abstinence as the solution. Here, we talk about all things recovery. Most importantly, how to thrive rather than just survive. So stay positive, make a change for yourself, tell others about your change, and hopefully the message will spread. Welcome to the Food Junkies podcast. On today's episode, we have Natalia Staniszewska. Natalia has a master's of neuroscience and is a nutritionist originally from Poland, currently living in the Netherlands. She is on a mission to help people overcome their struggles with food by utilizing principles of neuroplasticity and mind management techniques. In her work, she combines the knowledge of neuroscience with a holistic approach to create personalized approach for her clients who come to her struggling with binge eating, overeating, emotional eating, and yo-yo dieting. In today's episode, Natalia talks about her journey with food and eating, how her personal journey plays into her professional journey, who her clients are how she uses her knowledge of neuroscience to inform how she works with clients, how she determines if this is binge eating, overeating, food addiction, or emotional eating, the different kinds of overeaters, breaking up with diet culture, and her newest venture, podcasting. Welcome, Natalia. Well, thank you so much for being here, Natalia. We're just going to kick it right off. Will you share with us and our listeners your journey with food and eating? Like, What was your aha moment that something wasn't quite right or that that might be the issue. Okay, so let me first say hello to our listeners. Uh, I'm very happy to be here to be invited and share with you my expertise. And yes, what was my aha moment? I guess that it was the moment when I lean over the toilet to purge the food I just eaten. <laughs> Not a good start of, of the of this podcast, <laughs> but yeah, probably that was the moment I realized that something is not right. But that was around the time that I was at the university. And I just noticed that other people have different habits than me. And I also realized that my household, that we had very weird habits also in my household. So for example, my mother was always on a diet, but she was always falling off the track every weekend. She loved baking. So we had a lot of cakes every weekend. I remember when my family would gather to eat like chocolate frosting because she would make like twice as much we needed. So we would just eat together with like spoonfuls. Yeah, just my family expressed emotions through food. I also, when I was younger, I had like a pastry for breakfast. We had like a liquor cabinet with like all the junk foods, but some of the foods were like hidden from me because I was always the one who like craved them. But yeah, I would say that, that the main issues started when I was at the university and I decided to go on my first diet. So I leaned down a little bit. I lost some weight and then I came back home for a summer holiday. And this is the moment when my like old habits kicked in. So again, I was just craving food. And because previously I lost some weight, then just my body was super hungry. So I just binged. <laughs> I just binged a lot. And it started with like binging and trying to purge but I always had like 
trouble with that. So I guess that's a good thing that it didn't spiral into bulimia. But yes, then the whole summer, I just binged. I was depressed. Yeah. And that was how my life looked like. And then I came back to the second year of the university and I knew that I have a problem. And what helped me, at least for that period of time, was going plant-based. So in 2013, I would go plant-based. And because there weren't many junk foods, vegan junk foods in Poland back then, then it was easy for me to stay away from processed foods. So my acne cleared cleared up. I lost some weight. I had better relationship with food. Even if I would binge, I would binge like on healthy foods. So it didn't really matter. So because I didn't eat many rewarding foods for like two or three years, I stayed like real binge free. But because I leaned down a little bit too much, I lost too much weight. I also lost my period. I was over exercising. But then I realized that again, something is wrong. I'm spiraling into like orthorexia. So I decided to just gain some weight to get my period back because of course I knew that it's not good. And that was the moment when I was an exchange student in the Netherlands. And in the Netherlands, I was also on a budget because again, I was a student. So I decided that I'm going to focus on more energy dense foods. So I just figured out that if I'm going to eat like peanut butter, it's going to give me like so many calories, but it's going to cost less. So it's a good idea for me because for like two, three years, I was on a super clean diet. So it didn't matter if for a couple of months I would incorporate some like junk foods. But unfortunately, it didn't went well because, okay, yeah, I gained some weight. I did gain my period back, but then I just couldn't stop eating them because I was previously very lean. Then I had just extreme hunger. I was eating all the time. I had lots of binges. Yeah. And then I graduated from university. I came back home. And back then, again, I gained a lot of weight. I had a relapse of depression. Acne came back. So again, my life became sort of like miserable. I was living with my parents and I knew that I have to get away from that environment. So what I did is just I, for a moment, I rented an apartment, then I didn't have money to like pay the rent. So I had to like live with my grandpa. I was teaching kids English, even though, again, I was just a fresh graduate from the neuroscience. My life just didn't look the way I envisioned it a couple of years back. So that was the moment actually that things slowly started to coming back to normal because I'm a person who needs a lot of independence. I need to sort of like control my environment and at my home with my parents again they would buy food I would just eat food but when I was on my own I could start building those healthy habits those healthy habits that I already had a couple of years back so I knew how to go back to that healthy eating so slowly I built better habits I practiced mindful eating I gave up totally on weight loss and yeah I slowly got better. I was like, for a couple of months, I worked on my recovery. And I would say that I was there like 80, 90%. And then I just decided to escape this reality totally. And I moved to Belgium to like work with the horses. Crazy story. But that was also a moment when I met my boyfriend. And at that point, also, I reintroduced some trigger foods. I don't know if I mentioned that, but when I was living with my grandpa, grandma, I would, again, try to have like cleaner diet. So yeah, when I was living in Belgium, then we moved to the Netherlands. I moved with my boyfriend and I would say that at this point I was fully recovered and that was 2018. 
And from now on, I would say that from that moment, everything was was better for me and my relationship with food was way healthier. So are you still plant-based the way yes. you eat? Yeah. Oh, that's yes. so yeah. interesting. <laughs> Yeah, we have a lot of individuals who speak to the carnivore or the keto piece in our space, but it's just so nice to hear. So are you like vegan, vegetarian? What would you classify? Yeah, I went vegetarian when I was, I think, 14. And then in 2013, I went plant-based and I call it plant-based because again, back then I did a little bit of experiment on animals as a way to write my master's degree. So it's not really very vegan. So I would say that, that yes, from 2013, I am plant-based. Okay. No, that's interesting because it takes us into the next question of like, how does your personal journey play into your professional journey, training to be a neuroscientist, nutrition? Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, totally. So I think that it started when I went vegetarian, but the real interest in eating disorders and and nutrition, yeah, that was the moment when I just had my personal struggle when I had that first binging episode that actually lasted like three or four months or even longer. And then I was at the point that I had to find a supervisor. I studied neuroscience and I needed to find a supervisor to write my bachelor's thesis and also do some experiments for master thesis later. And I just sort of maybe accidentally chose a laboratory that worked on neuropeptides involved in regulation of food intake. So my bachelor thesis was all about ghrelin, which is a hunger hormone hormone. Uh, Later, I did like all the seminars about eating disorders, stress, how it impacts our appetite. I was also vegan. And because I was into sharing this message, I started my own Polish YouTube channel when I just talked to people online about nutrition. Then I was the exchange student in the Netherlands. And there also I took some classes about like psychology of eating. I also did an internship in Donders Institute where we worked on like, I don't even remember correctly. I think that it was something about how distraction impacts our perception of hunger and satiety. And that was a study in humans. And then I had my master's degree, which was about binge eating in rats. But of course, I didn't continue this career in neuroscience. First of all, I didn't want to have a job that requires killing rats for, yeah, (laughs) killing rats. Of course, I'm not saying that other people are bad people because they are doing that. Of course, we all have. This is sort of like, at the moment, this is necessary to use animals to discover some things. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. But after graduation, again, it was hard for me to find research center that would want me. I was also depressed. I put on weight. I didn't want to do nutritional counseling because I thought that if I gained weight, then I'm not qualified to tell people what to eat. So again, I had major problems that I didn't want to do anything, like anything with neuroscience or anything connected with nutrition, even though those were like my two big passions. So Jin, somehow you've combined all of that and you're now working with clients. And we're really curious to know, like, who are the clients that you primarily work with? Like, who's your ideal client? And Do you work with men at all? And how do you work with clients? You work with them one-on-one groups, education, role-playing. Like we want to know all about like what your practice looks like with clients. 
Yes. So I finally found my passion and I decided to come back to it because, again, I had a lot of personal experience and I'm very close to that topic. So I decided to start helping women that struggle with binge eating, overeating, emotional eating, also women who struggle with restrictive eating and yo-yo dieters. Again, I do work with like wide range of people because I still want to master my like coaching craft. And I do it, my coaching is mainly one-on-one coaching. I did some groups. I find it very therapeutic for other people to be in a group of people who struggle with the same. But again, I had some like technical issues with groups. So for now, I stopped conducting groups. But I think that at some point I'm going to go back to it. But for now, I mainly do one-on-one coaching and it's a type of coaching very similar to like life coaching when we work on self-coaching model with, we work on like mind management, but there are also some components of like nutrition, mindful eating, maybe some even principles of like intuitive eating. It all depends on a person. And yes, I also do work with clients. However, my marketing is geared towards women because as we all know, (laughs) our marketing has to be towards like one type of person. But yes, I don't mind working with men. So can you tell us a little bit more about like the nuts and bolts of your work? So do you talk about the neuroscience with your clients in a brain-based approach? And what are some of the methods that you use? And what's the advantage that you see of using the brain-based approach versus other methods? Yeah, I'm very eager to share that with listeners. So we already know that like typical restrictive diets doesn't work, like just following recipes or food rules doesn't work because these kind of approaches, they do target the action. They are trying to change your action, but actually what drives our action, those are internal things like our emotions and our thoughts. So my approach is based on the neuroplasticity principles and neuroplasticity means that our brain is capable of changing itself. And I like this brain approach because again, I can integrate a lot of things that I've learned during my studies and integrate it and combine it with like nutritional information I have. So for example, we all know that our brain consists of like two parts. Like we have this rational part, but we also have this primitive part. So from the evolutionary perspective, this is very important because your brain has this primitive part to sort of protect you. And this primitive part is wired to avoid pain, seek pleasure, conserve energy. So if you struggle right now with food, you may be binge eating, overeating, There's nothing wrong with you. This is how your brain was wired. And I like this brain-based approach because there is no stigma associated with it. Like I try to explain people that there's nothing wrong with you. Like, okay, this is what happens because your brain is literally trying to protect you from starvation. And also my approach talks much about mind management. So we have to remember that your thoughts, after all, they are the interpretation of like neutral circumstance. So we have many like cognitive bias. We have many cognitive distortions. We use heuristics to make sense of the world. And you ask also about like different ways to tackle issues with food. So the main ones that I'm aware of, those would be like nutritional counseling, maybe following some food plans, maybe talking therapy for some people, even hospitalization. 
education. So what I'm trying to do is I just try to integrate what I have learned throughout those past years. So again, that nothing is wrong with your brain. There's nothing personal about your problem. It's just like the neurological junk you have in your brain. This approach also gives you hope. And as I said, again, I try to combine many different approaches. So I do use some methods from like typical talking therapy, for example, how to identify your negative thoughts, how to do the cognitive diffusion, how to accept what is happening, how to handle emotions, how to challenge your thoughts. So yes, my approach combines different approaches and I just try to choose the best method that serves my clients and I'm always very flexible. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that I appreciate about you is that you're so client-centered and you individualize how you work with your clients based on their needs, but you're also coming from this very science research-based, evidence-based place and combining these things. And I think the other thing I really appreciate about you, Natalia, is that you're like middle ground. And that's where I think Clarissa and I really, we try to remain open-minded that science and research is, is telling us and teaching us new things all the time. Not to mention when you're working with somebody intuitively, right? You're picking up like, this is working, this isn't working. And yeah, I guess I was just really curious from your expert opinion as to why a brain-based approach is maybe a better way than some of the older ways, right? Like I imagine that you might have some pushback. Do you have pushback from colleagues who work with people who binge eat with dieting, with weight loss, that kind of thing? Like, do you experience pushback from colleagues who maybe walk in similar circles to you? I guess that the main pushback would be from people who prefer like intuitive eating approach. Therefore, they are angry when I would say that you have to do like urge surfing, that you have to allow your urges and so on. Because they would say, just eat the food. If you are craving it, then it must be something behind it. Therefore, again, you should allow the food and so on. So I guess that this is the main issue. And I always take like constructive criticism. If somebody has something to say, I will listen to it. But again, I think that I attract mostly people who, again, who've already tried like Overeaters Anonymous, who've tried perhaps intuitive eating and so on. And I gather all of those people and I am like the last resort and it works with most people it works and if they need different approach and I see that one thing is not working because I do know a lot about like intuitive eating I can still guide them towards this path but again this will be just an introduction because I don't know that much about intuitive eating and then they have to explore on their own. Yeah. And I think that was one of the first things that I remember it kind of attracted me to your account on Instagram because listeners, that's how I found Natalia. She's binge proof brain on Instagram. And we'll get to that later. Obviously, before you go, we'll let people know how to find you. But I remember, and this had to have been a year ago when you made a post about informed eating. And I was like, informed eating, what is informed eating? And then we kind of had a little bit of a conversation and I went and did some more research and I'm like, that's it. That's what it, this is. That's, I can finally put like a word word or a term to what I want my clients to do is be an informed eater. So can you talk a little bit more about like the intuitive eating versus informed eating and how that's really kind of your platform, so to speak? 
Yeah. So I also needed to find a middle ground for myself because, again, I wasn't a restrictive eater, but there were some things that I struggled with intuitive eating because, again, I had that nutritional knowledge and some of the things I just couldn't forget because you've got this nutritional information. So I also needed a middle ground. I'm pretty sure that I didn't coin the, the term like informed eater. I don't know who did. I would love to give them credit, but I don't know. But informed eater is just competent eater, somebody who not only follows the intuitive eating, but also knows a little bit more about how our bodies work, how they have like specific reaction to food. So for example, informed eater, if they are hungry at night, let's say, so they won't probably reach for food because they know that eating late at night may cause some problems with sleeping. So at that moment, they will choose to dismiss the slight hunger. But of course, I'm not talking about like restricting <laughs> your food uh, again it's somewhere in the middle so that's just in my opinion it's more practical approach to intuitive eating because again it may not always work but we have to use our rational brain from time to time to navigate our food choices and i think that's what i love so much about it is because i think about like you said like the uh, like the primitive brain and the rational brain and like if we're yeah. always rewarding the primitive brain and it right like what's going to happen. That's what's going to continue. So yeah. yeah. Clarissa, do you want to, I keep taking over. Go ahead. I see you have a question. Go. No, I was just going to say, so do you find that like when we work with clients, we will give them like an abstinent food plan. And that yep. just is free from the foods that trigger them and trigger the reward system. So is that kind of what you figure out for them is an abstinent food plan and then how to manage the cravings that occur if they do eat those trigger foods? Mm -hmm. Yes. So for me personally, again, the ditching the processed foods that triggered me, that was important part of my journey, but I can recognize that it's not for everybody. So at the moment, honestly, I don't have any client who I would give abstinent food plan just because I attract a certain type of people. And mostly those are yo-yo dieters or maybe women who were previously on a restrictive diets. So I focus less on nutrition and more on mind management, how they actually see their choices. What's the thought behind their actions? Okay. Yeah. Well, both Molly and I work obviously in the food addiction field. Yep. And I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on, do you believe in food addiction? And I know, Ed, like, tell us a little bit more about when you work with people, how do you determine like binge eating, overeating? Is this potentially food addiction, emotional eating? Like, can you speak about some of the differences between these and the different treatments for these individuals? Yeah. Totally. So yes, of course, I do believe in food addiction. I think that we have strong scientific evidence showing that. And I also think that it will be helpful for some people to recognize that food addiction is food use disorder and it's like a processed food addiction. So I think that for me, whenever I think whether food addiction is like real, I ask myself a question, is it helpful to think in that way? So for some people, it's not going to be helpful, but for other group of 
people, it will be super helpful. So I think that definitely food addiction exists. However, recognizing when binge eating uh, is food addiction is slightly more tricky because, of course, we know that for binge eating, we have a set of like diagnostic criteria, like lack of control, eating a lot of food in a short period of time, doing it twice a week for a couple of months. Yeah, we've got the criteria. With overeating, it's a little bit different. It's more about, yeah, it's something that many people do. So the line between normal eating and overeating is very thin. So overeating is just eating just food that we don't physiologically need because it goes over our calorie requirements. Emotion eating has this emotional component. So people reach for comfort food, not in response to hunger, but in response to certain feelings. And in terms of food addiction, again, you are the expert, so I don't want to exactly say what's the like, definition of food addiction, but I definitely agree that, that for each disorder or each pathological eating, the solution will be slightly different. So those pathological types of eating, they are the result of many factors, like our genetics, our how our reward system is wired, our habits, conditioning, stress, emotions, also like neurotransmitters, hormones. So there are many internal factors, but also many external factors like food cues or food palatability. So the treatment looks different. And I agree that in terms of food addiction, probably identifying and abstaining from the addictive food substances is the best idea. And of course, working on the psychological issues because it's not just the being abstinent. But in terms of like overeating, binge eating, there I would work more on habits, mindset, mindfulness, just the acceptance also stress tolerance, emotion regulation. So during the recovery from any type of disordered eating, people are gaining like meta skills because they can use them also in their life. And again, I just use the personalized approach. I don't have like any specific protocols. I don't have any like questionnaires that would help me assess what a person struggles with exactly because I just do that during talking therapy, right? (laughs) I just talk to them and then I just collect the information about their experiences. Yeah. I mean, I think so many of us who are actually in the trenches as clinicians and actually working with clients, so many of us do that. I think some of us have tools, you know, I I know Clarissa and I have a few tools that we use at times if people request them or if there's some specific need for them. But I think for the most part, you're right. Like we're just listening to our clients and we're just trying to meet them exactly where they are with the tools that they need at the time. And if it doesn't work, then we readjust. So you recently posted on Instagram about the six different kinds of overeaters. And again, I was intrigued and we kind of had a little bit of a conversation and I went and listened to your podcast and I checked back on some YouTube videos. Can you just explain to our listeners or list them off for us? Like what are those different kinds of overeaters and what kind of a brief idea of what each one looks like? Yeah, totally. So again, there are certain types, but it is totally possible to be a mixture of types. So again, I wouldn't put exactly a label on each person. But yes, we could say that some of the people, some of the overeaters are emotional overeaters. So that kind of people would use food to cope with uncomfortable emotions. Maybe it's fear, stress, maybe it's even boredom. I know that many people don't even classify boredom as a feeling, but boredom 
boredom definitely is a feeling. And if you are eating out of boredom, then it's type of emotional eating. The second category maybe would be impulsive compulsive overeater. So that's a person who acts impulsively or maybe even compulsively thinks about food. The next category would be restrained eater. So this is a person who just restricts food. Maybe that person is on a restrictive diet. And of course, usually this kind of dieting leads to cravings, leads to overeating. Also, these kind of people often have all or nothing mentality. So they will stick to a diet and then they will rebel against it. The next category would be habitual overeater. So habitual overeater actually can be like each type, but when that response just becomes a habit, right? So emotional eating can become a habitual emotional eating. Mindless eating, again, it can be just mindless habitual eating. So this is just our conditioned response to food. And there are two other categories. So there is also mindless eater. So that's just person who eats when they are not hungry. They don't really pay attention to their hunger and fullness signals. And maybe there are some cues from the environment that drive that overeating and they not don't even realize that they are overeating. And the last type of overeater that I classified was social overeater. And that's a person who usually overeats while eating out because most overeaters would overeat in private, but this kind of overeater just uses celebration to eat more. Yeah. So then you had a podcast episode about the 15 reasons why we overeat. And it sounds like those kind of fall under those categories. Or like you said, it's, we would probably be doing people a disservice by labeling them, but to know that these are kind of the categories. And then these are some of the reasons that fall under those categories for why we overeat. So do you have different tools that you use for each of those? Like specific, you know what I mean? Like sometimes, like you said, like habitual can become any of those, right? Like we can just be like emotional eat over a breakup, but now pretty soon we're habitually overeating for every emotion, that kind of thing. So for example, what are some different tools that you might use for habitual versus emotional or something along those lines? Yes. So for example, in my coaching, I also provide video modules. So I do have like a short course about mindful eating. So for a mindless eater, I would definitely encourage them to also watch the videos so that they can gain some of the mindfulness skills that later we can also talk about it during the real coaching sessions. So yeah, I also have additional worksheets that help people recognize each habit state. So working on that, they can identify what is the cue, what is the thought they have, how it leads to different emotions and actions. For restrained eaters, of course, the approach will be slightly different because usually they need to just loosen up their food rules. So in this case, we're going to work on neutralizing foods and maybe more structured eating because some people would like starve themselves during the day just to binge later. So for some of the people, more structured eating more would be helpful and also allowing different foods, seeing them as equal. So yes, definitely I don't have like the agenda that I guide people through the coaching process. Again, I just try to make the coaching like very client-directed treatment. Like they show me, they tell me where are the problems or they tell me, but they don't always are able to recognize what's the problem. But yeah, I can spot it, what they should work on. Yeah. And I think it's so interesting because you were kind of talking about the restriction piece and definitely Molly and I in the any food space, whether it's binge eating, emotional eating, 
overeating, food addiction. It's all about that still relentless pursuit of thinness that we were talking yeah. about with uh, um, David Wiss in a previous episode. And, and how do you work with clients to like break up with the scale or like stop focusing on the weight? Because I think all of us can experience that we would like us in a smaller body than yeah. we currently are in that body dissatisfaction piece. Yes, true. So we have to first realize that our brains literally marinate in the toxic diet culture and patriarchal ideas from the moment we are born. Like we watch TV, we read newspapers right now online. There's a lot of like toxic messages. And because our brain isn't always able to figure out everything from the scratch, therefore brain uses heuristics. So they are sort of by the unconscious reasoning shortcuts, right? So for example, Diet culture teaches women different things. For example, uh, in the media, we can see skinny, very attractive celebrities. So then we see that those skinny people, they are very attractive and they are very successful. So our brain makes a shortcut. Like, okay, so skinny means attractive and everybody wants to be attractive. And the other way is, for example, all of the movies, all of the books are often about love, how woman has to find her perfect husband. And then when they will be, will get married. So after getting married, they will be forever happy, right? So let's say that right now we have a woman who is unhappy. So she will think that getting married is what will gain her happiness. So again, our brain makes a shortcut. Okay, married means happy because we've been marinated in those messages. Another example could be, let's say that we see a celebrity drinking celery juice. And again, we see that this celebrity is super successful. So our brain makes a shortcut that, okay, drinking celery juice means successful. We want to be successful. Let's drink celery juice. And of course, we also have this cognitive bias in our brain. So our brain will seek for the evidence to support our current belief. So in our culture, we associate being thin with approval from others. And approval is very important for all humans. So in our, again, culture, we associated that being fat means also being unhappy because media doesn't show happy fat people, obese people, and so on. So we have all, all internalized fat phobia. So the solution is, first of all, to recognize how our society shapes our opinions, because we absorb those messages from the society about how women should look like, how they should act. And we also have many this mental habits or shortcuts that we don't even recognize that are external and they are totally external. And the other funny thing is that society often tells women uh, like conflicting messages. Because, of course, all women should properly conduct themselves, but also they should speak their truth and be free. They should focus on their career, bringing money home, but also they should be the best mom who spends 10 hours a day with a baby. Uh, so another example could be that society teaches us that we should take care of ourselves, like look super pretty, but also you shouldn't be shallow. You shouldn't spend so much money on beauty. So there are conflicting messages. And it's important for us to recognize that, that it's all all made up and it's all huge BS. So everybody has to realize
realize that we have the power to decide how we want to think and feel about all of this. So we have to question our own beliefs. We have to start thinking on purpose, maybe living more intentionally, deliberately choosing what do we want to believe in. And we have to practice those thoughts because again, for years and years, we've been marinating with those toxic messages. So it's going to take us a while to rewire those neural pathways. And we have to surround ourselves with different messages. So right now, if a person really wants to become thinner and thinner, maybe they should start following on social media obese people or just overweight people, right? Just people with different shapes so that they can see that carrying more fat on your body doesn't mean that you are the worst person or doesn't mean anything about you. It's just your body and you can still be happy even larger bodies. Because when we surround ourselves with these messages, it's going to be easier for us to break free from the diet culture. Yeah, I love that because it's so true. It's like we want to promote body positivity, but it's also like healthy at any size, not fat shaming. But because I want to lose weight, am I fat shaming? It's just like all of these different messages that people get all the time. So if I am in a bigger body and I do still want to drop some weight, how do I live in this culture, which is giving me so many different messages? Like, how would you work with me? Yeah, that's very tricky working with somebody on intentional weight loss, but it is totally doable because each one of us has the authority. We can do whatever the heck we want to do. So I do recognize that some women will have this authentic desire. And if they do have a good reason for that, good compelling reason, then I think that they are good to go. They can pursue intentional weight loss. But I would caution because many people think that when they will lose weight, they will be happier. They will be worthy. And it doesn't work that way. You are already 100% worthy and changing the shape of your body won't make you happier because what makes you happy is your own thoughts. So right now, those thoughts to make you happy, they are available for you. And if right now you practice negative thinking, then that negative thinking becomes a habit wired into your brain. This is like a mental habit. So even if you lose weight, you actually have more active this neural pathway responsible for negative thinking. So you still will be negatively thinking a lot. So what you have to do is first you have to change the way you think about yourself. So if you want to lose weight, don't make it because you want to become happier and so on. Do it as a self-care practice. Do it because you already love yourself. You already know that you are 100% worthy and that your life won't change that as much if you want to change your thinking. I'm loving every bit of this conversation. I just want to dive a little bit deeper into that. So then in navigating that, because that's been your message more recently, right? Is that that's who you're targeting is that you are anti-diet culture, but you are not anti-intentional weight loss because obviously, like you just said, there are legitimate reasons why we may need to shed some body weight, right? And so with these clients, do you ever have to address over-exercising, over-restricting, those kinds of things? Like, are there pieces that you have to take care of first with folks before you can get to like what you were just talking about, that intentional weight loss from that much healthier mindset, it sounds like? 
Yeah, definitely. I never combine like eating disorder recovery with intentional weight loss. First, we have to tackle one issue, then go into like maintenance phase and then only approach weight loss. Because yes, over restricting or over exercising, these are big problems. Over exercising is a form of compensation. So it's also a disordered uh, behavior. Uh, so yes, definitely we first have to stabilize the like relationship relationship with food, how a person perceives food. And again, this message has to become stronger that a person really believes in that. And it's not just something transient, like, oh yeah, I'm okay, but they will relapse after a month. So they have to go like into the maintenance phase when also their body feels comfortable with, they can easily maintain their weight, also their relationship with food, everything is stable. And then slowly we can approach weight loss. But folks who struggle with eating disorders, they will be more prone to relapse. So again, it's not as easy as, okay, you want to lose weight, let's do it. There will be some real obstacles. It won't be as easy. Yeah. We often talk about, even with our clients, how it is an imperfect journey, right? There's no one way. There's going to be some slips along the way. So I think that's so important to identify that there is other things and behaviors that we do to compensate for that. And we need to address those things and make a balanced, stabilized plan where life is manageable, but it's also enjoyable at the yep. same time. Yeah, so, totally. <laughs> yeah, for sure, right? It's not yep. like I have to wake up and do this, 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 and like check everything off the list. It's yep. like when we actually enjoy our life, food isn't the only focus anymore, right? Because yep. it's, it's not the reward piece. So we know you recently transitioned from having a YouTube channel to podcasting. Who is your podcast for and what is next for you? So I would say that my podcast is for everybody who struggles with healthier relationship with food. So it's for people who have problem with overeating, binge eating, emotional eating, yo-yo dieting. Again, it's a broad category of people. But the thing is that I teach their universal truths. I teach meta skills. So, okay, on a podcast, I talk mainly about food. But for example, in the episode about mind reading, I do give examples about food, but it can be translated to other areas of your life. For example, when you assume that your boss doesn't like you and so on. In the next couple of episodes, I'm going to talk about urges. So I'm going to talk about urges to binge or to overeat, but people who listen to this episode could also utilize this knowledge to overcome their urges to use social media or urges to different things. So again, I'm going to talk about like nutrition, neuroscience, on my podcast. It is mainly for people who struggled with disordered relationship with food, disordered eating, but I think that many other people would gain a lot from listening to the episodes. Yeah, I'm a big fan. <laughs> I'm a big <laughs> fan. I don't know. I don't remember how many episodes you have right now, six or seven. And I feel like I've listened to, I think the one I missed was the mind reading one, but I especially love the Spock and Homer one about the brain and like yeah. just breaking it down, like Homer Simpson coming home and like wanting to indulge after a day yeah. of hard work and rewarding himself and Spock stepping in and being like, uh, is this really the best thing for us right now? Or is there something better we could do? And I really, I think there are just so many people who can appreciate 
how you can take the science and then make it just much more understandable and to be able to then use those skills. So what's next? So you, you went from the YouTube channel, which I also love, by the way. And just because Natalia is Polish does not mean she doesn't do these things in English because she does. <laughs> and so what's next? Are you just working on growing your practice? What's your focus going to be, say, going into 2022 at this point? Yeah, honestly, I don't know. <laughs> yes, definitely. I'm just trying to educate myself more, to work more with clients, because again, this gives the most like intuitive way. So I just want to become a better coach right now. I just focus on serving people and also working on like marketing so that the right person can find me because I truly believe that my coaching can save somebody's life or just improve their life. So I do truly believe that. So I want everybody to know about the things that I teach about. I don't know. I don't have any like specific plans for the future, but yes, I probably will just focus on growing my practice. Awesome. Okay. So how do our listeners find you? Tell them all the ways. Yeah. So I think that the best way to find me would be on Instagram. I'm as binge.proof.brain and it's the best way to get familiar with my approach. And also I try to publish consistently almost every day on stories. So this is the best way to get to know me. Of course, people can also visit my website, which is bingeproofbrain.com. And of course, I invite everybody to subscribe to a podcast called Binge Proof Brain. Yeah. And for all our listeners, like everything Natalia is talking about is applicable to food addiction recovery. And that's why we love her so much. And that's why we asked her to be here to share her expertise on this, because all of these techniques and tools and ways that we can think differently about food, our bodies, emotions, all of that is applicable to remaining abstinent and staying free from our drug foods. So Natalia, we have a signature question and it is, if you could tell a younger version of yourself something about food, eating, what would it be? From all of the hard questions you asked me, probably this is the hardest. <laughs> so unfortunately, I don't know. I wouldn't like to spoiler her, like give her spoilers about the life. Because again, I got to this point because I suffered in the past. I had many good and bad moments and this would shape the person I am today. So I wouldn't change anything. So probably giving her too good of the advice would change something. <laughs> so I think that all I I could tell her is that, you know, life has many ebbs and flows and that's just okay. That's something to be expected. We are humans. Our life won't always be, uh, be perfect. I think I that's that. my favorite answer to date. <laughs> I yeah. have goosebumps right now. I know. <laughs> I know. No, that was so good. That was, that's such a great answer because it's so true. As you were saying that I was like light bulb. Of course, if we had warned ourselves would we be where we are today? Would we be able to do what we do? Would we be who we are? And it sounds to me like you really like who you are today. Yes, I think so. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. This was a true pleasure and congratulations on the new podcast. And I'm going to keep sending people your way. Definitely. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me today. For sure. And we'll link everything in the show notes so that all our listeners can share in the joy of listening to you speak about these amazing tools. Thank you. Bye. 
Thanks for joining us this week on Food Junkies, Recovery from Food Addiction. Make sure to join our Facebook group, Sugar Free for Life Support Group, I'm Sweet Enough. You can subscribe to our show in iTunes or Stitchers. That way you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Don't forget to pick up your copy of Dr. Tarman's book, Food Junkies, which is available on Amazon. If you have any additional questions, both Molly and Clarissa are food addiction professionals and work one-on-one with clients. You can find their websites and email addresses in the show notes. Be sure to tune in every Friday when our new episodes drop. As Vera loves to say, the power is ours.